Hello, my friends, and welcome to the ninth edition of the You Are Loved webinar, where we are talking about how to take care of your mental health as a professional wrestler. As always, I am with my resident experts, Carl and Kyle. We are discussing substance use and substance abuse in professional wrestling. This will be sort of an introduction to a longer and further chat, which we will have some other guests on. Hopefully, fingers crossed, we just talked about it before I hit record, but I'm saying it now to manifest it to you guys. So hopefully next time you hear from us on part 10, we will have two people who uh, can share their stories and expertise along with, of course, the three of us here. Like I said, this is part nine in our zero cost series on how to take care of your mental health as a professional wrestler. All other um, parts of this series are located on YouTube and a brief thing about sort of what we're doing here, which is um, under the umbrella of my nonprofit, which is You Are Loved. And we have a specific section about professional wrestling. And Carl and Kyle are uh, the dudes. The dudes driving, the, they're driving it. They're doing all of the work. They're in the trenches. They're running our support groups every single month, which uh, if you're a professional wrestler listening to this and you want to join those, message any of us right now. They happen twice a month. They're free of charge. And they're run by Carl and Kyle, who are licensed mental health professionals, as well as in the professional wrestling business. So you get all of that knowledge and insight. And if you want something less, um, let's say, personal than that, to sort of dip your toes in the water, we have a Facebook group. That Facebook group is with all professional wrestlers, and that could lead to the support group. And then we do these webinars every other month. That's my spiel. So thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in. And I will hand it over to Kyle, who will get us kicked off for um, – uh, the meat and bones of this episode. All right, everybody. Uh, fellas, it's always a pleasure to be here and talk about these things with you. Um, it's one of the lights of my bi-monthly life. Um, I am a tremendous fan of drugs and substance abuse, uh, just as a, an academic subject. Um, the... <sighs> The business of professional wrestling has long enjoyed a rich history and relationship with drug use and certainly has enjoyed its share of controversy controversy through the individual usage of some of its stars. Um, furthermore, there have been well-crafted arguments made about substance abuse in professional wrestling being a bit of a systemic issue by virtue of getting into this business to me it's always been an individual's choice about as to whether or not they put something in their body any sort of substance whatsoever and i do fully recognize that there are factors that certainly influence individuals who may have certain goals or certain desires for certain outcomes um and find some arguments for putting certain substances in their body as quite coercive and, you know, uh, intriguing. Um, I'm not here to necessarily knock anybody in terms of what they use, how they use it. Um, ultimately, my goal in, in this context is people's safety. Um, I, I think in some of the conversations, if you're not a first time listener, you've established that me, myself, um, you know, just speaking of my stance in regards to substances, uh, I'm certainly no teetotaler. Uh, I fully believe that, you know, people are going to do the things that they want to do. 
Um, so again, it's not about shape naming and shaming and you know trying to deter anybody for from something at least in my mind it's about keeping people safe it's just uh it's the over-encompassing term that we use uh, in the mental health uh sector that is called harm reduction so that's basically my my aim for this now professional wrestling and despite enjoying many you know, many stories of people using and getting into trouble with substance abuse and what have you. Um, there's not a whole lot of hard set data. And that's a common feature of a lot of the conversations that we have here. Uh, we don't necessarily have hard and fast surveyable data to work from in order to kind of make some of the assertions that we do. It's simply based upon our own experience in the business ourselves, which all three of us have been a part. So I think kind of the first direction I kind of wanted to broach this in was kind of not not to not to ask you guys to put any specific person on blast, but you know what sort of things have you seen in in terms of substance abuse when it relates to the show, to training, to traveling around? Um, I'm curious to see what you guys have seen in your experiences, and I'll certainly be, certainly be uh, excited to share mine. Yeah, um, I'll go ahead and start. Uh, I've seen really there's there's kind of two realms, I think, in drug or substance use in this business. You're either trying to enhance your performance or you're trying to cope with it. And it, it's it's really there's a line because while it, it it's a part of a, a culture, right? It's it is, uh, I, I think, ingrained in the history of pro wrestling. But there is no limit to that. It's it's come from a, a world of excess right where you're also alone so i think first you got to figure into okay where where are people's heads at when when they're using substances when when they might uh decide to start using uh either performance enhancing drugs because that counts right or you know substances like alcohol or you know depressants or uppers you know whatever you need to get through this life because a lot of folks they were doing it 300 days a year boom they're having to hit it so they got to be at their tops and they got to be able to get to sleep right so it's kind of uh, this this need and when they lose that balance i think is is when it starts to uh become a problem right because that that can lead to immediate issues like you said duis i've seen plenty of folks get those even, you know, if we look at it from like a sports psychology, you know, it can ruin careers. We could list 100 people right now, but I, I think that you've got to consider, okay, some people are using it to improve their performance, cope with it. And how much are they doing that without using like an appropriate support network? Um, so that's, that's what I've seen. Uh, and, and again, there's a whole range of that. Yeah. <clears throat> those are, those are good points there, Carl. I, well, obviously I agree cause you're, you're right. So I don't need to say that, but anyways, sort of my first introduction into this sort of world um, of drinking drugs and sort of always, it always seems to be in excess um, because like us as professional wrestlers, I think we, we, we do everything to the extreme because we have to be that, um, you know, we have to always turn up the dial. And so even if it's at a bar, even if it's before the show, even if it's 
just whenever. I think always the 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 dial always has to be turned up. And I and I first realized that when I was very early in my career, and I was fortunate enough to travel to Tennessee with a few other boys from Texas, and we we're on this well put together show. I won't you know name any names or any of that stuff because it's unimportant for the story. But we're about three hours out from the show. And a few of the main stars, quote unquote, on the show are starting to drink quite a bit of alcohol. And now we're about 30 minutes until they're going to wrestle. The start, the show has already started and they're stumbling. They can't put on their boots. They are not really sure where their stuff is. Like they sort of look an absolute fuck. They look like a fucking mess. Just mm-hmm. put it quite frankly. And I'm wondering how they're going to walk through the curtain and take another person's life in their hands, like, and carefully take care of that and wrestle that match and do the whole thing that we're all taught to do. And the whole, the very interesting part of this, they were stumbling to the curtain. They were shaking. And right when their music hits, they walk out on the curtain. And I, I went around to see, watch the match because I thought it was going to be a catastrophe. And right when their music hits and they walk through the curtain, they absolutely looked unfazed and they were completely in the zone. Like they hadn't just been drinking bottles of alcohol for the last three hours. And they wrestled this 25-minute match on the fly, didn't talk to their opponents, just boom, 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 crisp, sharp, crowd was popped. Everything was wild. I was like blown out. I was, I didn't know what to do. I was like three months into my career, I had like 10 matches. I was like, I gotta work on this. I need to fuck. Where did my feet go? Oh my God. You know, that stuff when we're brand new at something. These guys went out there and just rock and rolled. They walk right back through the curtain. And again, they collapse. They can't stand. They can't move. It's like they got drunk again, but took a 25-minute pause. And I I didn't know what was happening. Like I had been, I've been around alcohol and drugs. I played college baseball. There's sort of a culture in baseball of drugs, but not to this extent. We take our performances very seriously, and there's absolutely none of that going into our games. And so it's a bit different in professional wrestling. And so when I saw this, then, you know, post-show, it's like, a little something else, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. And then I imagine when they get to their room, they're going to go do something to go to sleep, like Carl was talking about. And then when they wake up in the morning, they got to be the performer again. So they got to have a bit, a little bit of this, a little bit of that. But just seeing that play out in, in real time was sort of like, oh my God, like mm-hmm. this is sort of, this is like the culture of what can be of independent professional wrestling. And I think even over the last six years, since that happened, it's changed because like, I think our society has changed. Now, professional wrestlers nowadays more care about their body. Um, they want to take care of their opponent. They understand the perils of drinking and boozing and driving and how what they can do to your career and your livelihood and your relationships and just the people around you. And so I think there's a move towards that. But there's always going to be this, this sort of undertone of that in professional wrestling because that's what it grew from. It was about drinking and partying and going out and being able to perform and all of this stuff. And so um, I don't know what my like concrete, you know, takeaway point is from that, just that that we have to be aware of that. And then as a person in professional wrestling, whoever you are, a young wrestler, old wrestler, in between wrestler, you've been wrestling a long time, you have to be able to make choices for yourself and not let the things around you dictate how you want to live your life. Right. If you want to stay sober, if you want to stay clean, if you want to do this, if you want to partake, if you want to do this um, intentionally or have a little bit here, like don't try not to get pressured into doing it because the boys are doing it. Um, Whether you're a girl or a guy, it doesn't matter Um, because that can get you caught into a trap. And that's a very dangerous sort of trap to get out of. 
And now it's hard if you're brand new and they're telling you that you have to do this to get accepted in sort of this sort of weird old school, like hazing mentality, bull crap. Um, but you have to stand firm. You have to stand up for yourself. And someone may dislike you or you may lose a fucking lame ass booking. That doesn't doesn't matter. You're standing up for yourself and you're doing what's right based on your values. And that's important when you step into sort of this very potentially toxic, some potentially toxic environments. Not all locker rooms are like that. There's a ton of them that are amazing and conducive and helpful and supportive and loving. But there are some that still exist that this culture is what they talk about. This is what they live for, for the Saturdays and the Sundays and the Fridays, right? And so you have to be aware of that sort of undertone when walking into the professional wrestling business, I think. You certainly sparked a lot of like conceptualization and, and ideas. So I think like you also made some incredibly salient points there, uh, Aaron. Um, particularly with the drinking. Um, there are some places like even I work for at this point, you'll see guys with a beer in their hand. It It's not quite as intensive as, as the, the example that you gave um, in terms of being like stumbling over, falling down drunk and what have you. Um, but like I roll in two and a half, three hours before the show is due to start, you know, put my stuff down, say hello to everybody, you know, shake, shake, you know, shake the cobwebs out from the road, get stretched, what have you. Um, and that's because like you, Aaron, I come from a collegiate athletic background um, where it's like, okay, well, we signed up to do this thing and it's time to do business and it's time to be focused and it's time to, you know, concentrate on that. And, you know, I'll see those guys, those girls, those, you know, whoever's, um, they'll have that beer in that hand and they'll just nurse on that thing. Some will go through, through it faster than others. But I think it kind of lends itself to the point that Carl had made earlier in that there, there's the drug use, the substance use to turn on, um, mm -hmm. to get into the space. And I think there's a few different ways people go about it. There's, you know, we'll call it the conventional method where you know, you are expected to be a professional, you are expected to be sober, you are expected to go in there and, you know, do your job and take care of your opponent, make sure they can walk to work, you know, walk and go to work the next day, you know, all those unwritten, but very strongly written rules in professional wrestling. Um, you know, I'm not always a big, I'm never a fan of just blanket diagnosis. I always thought, felt like there was a bit of a anxiety element that presents itself when these behaviors really start to, um, you know, take over, like it becomes ingrained in part of the, like the performance preparation, like it becomes part of your warm up essentially to have a beer in your hand. It's like, okay, well, how's that becoming, helping you become a better wrestler? Yeah, I get it. Like we have all these outlaw stories of like the road warriors doing GHB and being laid out across the floor minutes before, you know, they're supposed to be in gorilla. And then suddenly like your example, Aaron, uh, they go out there and they're the fucking war road warriors. Some people can just do that. It's it, it's not good. It's not healthy for anybody involved. But, you mm -hmm. know, folks get away with it. And I think, like, ultimately those matters are going to be, um, 
those that has to be settled with the individual um hmm. and they have to have a come to jesus with themselves in terms of like why are you getting into that space before doing this thing that you are supposedly competent and if effective enough to even be on the roster in the first place um i think people really need to take stock of that um it's not it's not really that different with marijuana and whatnot um you know marijuana especially can you know if you have feelings of anxiety they can be exacerbated by marijuana um so like i think if you are a particularly anxious person and you are getting ideas of your in your head or you see other wrestlers because the circle is perpetually present. And this is coming from a, a veteran of the circle, if not say what you will about my status in professional wrestling, but I'm certainly a veteran of the, of the circle. Um, like people are going to light up. Like I I've heard the, the argument that it like helps get people into that creative space to call the match, to really open up their mind and really just be imaginative. Again, it's like, okay, but you spent all week in training, you know, creating these spots, reviewing tape, you know, going over this in your head, maybe even sitting there smoking at home while you're watching uh, tape and whatnot. Why does that necessarily have to happen while you're here? Again, is it an anxiety thing? Is this just an ingrained response for you for, to use this crutch as a means of dealing with feelings that you wouldn't otherwise want to approach? Because like a confidence to... issue. Yeah. Like you are supposed to love this thing. You're supposed to be effective at this thing that you're doing. If you're on your show, on a show, it's generally because people have vouched for you or you've made a good enough case and presentation to the promoter that you can be on this show. And I just realized my image froze, but you know, we'll keep going. Um, the, the entire point is, is like, why are those feelings not being reviewed before engaging in this behavior, uh, especially before the match where you are, yes, you are supposed to be sober. You are supposed to be in a condition to be taking care of people. Um, and it's always an interesting when it's always a depressant when it's meant to relax. Mm -hmm. um, because prior to the show, we got to get up. We got to get in the space. We got to get, we got to be in a position to get that crowd uh, to elicit the reaction that we need to get from them. Um, for most people, a depressant will make use, while it will loosen your inhibitions that may keep you from, you know, uh, performing in the way you want to, it still slows you down. It still depresses your thinking. That's what it's, it's a depressant for a reason. So that kind of brings me to the next element that I tend to see. I don't want to say I see it often, but I've seen it enough which is the uppers like there are guys still doing key bumps in locker rooms um and it's to get into that and it's going back to doc's um uh point about getting up for the performance itself using the substance for the performance itself um again especially for people who want to evoke these high energy bombastic interactions with the crowds which again is, is an important element of pro wrestling it's important to consider how you get in that space and why you need a specific substance to elicit and unlock that part of yourself 
um, that I think people really need to have a conversation about themselves with. And it doesn't mean just cocaine. I think, and this is definitely not going to be the most popular stance in professional wrestling, but like even caffeine is mm -hmm. a tremendous crutch for people in professional wrestling. Um, caffeine's an addictive substance too. It is a psychoactive substance. It affects how your brain performs. It Yes, it does have generally positive uh, uh, effects on us. It makes us more productive. It makes us more engaged, this, that, and the other. And it's been a tremendous for a tremendous boon for the industrialized world. Um, however, take a break from caffeine for three months and then try your first sip of coffee and you'll see the difference. Um, it's still a psychoactive substance that you are using mm -hmm. as a crutch to get into a certain place or space in your life. Um, so these things all have a root. It's like if you're doing caffeine just to wake up, it's kind of an easier argument in a way to like make an argument to introduce another substance to keep yourself awake or, you know, get yourself into whatever space you need to be. It's the utility of the thing. So I don't know. It's like to me, it seems that the most prevalent stuff might be one the uppers as a means of keeping ourselves awake especially the guys who are the guys and girls who are you know every weekend this city that city this city that city this city that city they're rebounding all over the absolutely every place oh i got a flight at 5 a.m i got a flight at you know 3 a.m and it's like where do you find time to sleep well you don't mm-hmm what is the alternative in those situations besides turning to uppers or some sort of uh, way of keeping yourself awake? And it's like we've all seen those guys who have like two or three bangs with them, right? Absolutely. Like it's even become its own like meta gimmick in terms mm -hmm. of pro wrestling. Uh, everybody's got their favorite go to energy drink. Everybody's got their favorite like creatine or, you know, pre workout. Or, and it's always with them. Like folks hate to be caught uh, empty-handed in that regard. Um, that really, you know, makes me think about the health effects too. Mm -hmm. uh, just biologically, what what this stuff can do to you, it can it wreaks havoc on your kidneys. It, it, it's gonna over prolonged use. It can damage your heart, right? Uh, it can lead to stroke. Uh, unfortunately, I think it's becoming even more prevalent that. People are, are taking too much of something. We've seen athletes suffer from this too. Mm. Uh, alcohol, if you're, if you're drinking after one of these performances, it's going to take your body a lot longer to recover from that match because it's trauma. You are injuring your body regardless in these matches. That means there's bruising. That means that when you drink, it makes you bleed more. That means it will inflame more right? So you're not healing as fast. You're not able to recover. All that work that you're putting in, if you're going out and drinking after your training, you're not really retaining that fitness now. It's kind of running in place, right? Uh, Aaron, you being an athlete, I, I mean, I, I imagine you have a lot of insight into that too. Yeah. I mean, you think about <clears throat> when you drink after, potentially after a show, and you drink quite a bit, and then you go to try and sleep, and you fall asleep rather quickly, right? Um, but then you wake up the next day still tired, not feeling very good. 
It's because you didn't sleep good because the alcohol impaired your sleep. Yes, you fell asleep quickly, whatever, and you stayed asleep, but your sleep is completely impaired by the toxins that you put in your body. There's no restorative brain cleaning happening in there. Your body is trying to fight this toxin all night while you wake up the next day and try to catch a flight, a catch of this, catch of that. And I'm not demonizing alcohol because I've had my fair share of, you know, drinking and all of this stuff. But as you become more aware of your body and what it's doing for you and the magical thing that it's able to do, you want to decide to try and take care of it just a little bit more. And I'm not saying don't have any fun. I can still go to the bar and have tons of fun with my friends because I enjoy their company. The alcohol doesn't make them fun. They make them fun because I like them. Um, and so you have to think about your relationships too. How is it affecting your body, your sleep, the way you restore? What do you have to do the next day? Um, all of these things play a factor in you being a professional athlete, which is how you should you know, take care of yourself. Um, again, there is time and space for all of this stuff, but it's about intentionality. It's also about moderation. And it's also about thinking about your long-term health. If you want to be a professional wrestler into your 30s or 40s, you can't do this stuff every night or three nights a week. The binging process is a little bit even worse for you and more taxing in that regard. Right. Um, and so all of those factors, I'm, I'm, we're, I think merely what we're trying to do here is just get you to think about it. Right. Again, we don't have any hard empirical data that can tell you if you do this, this will happen. But we know people, we have stories like there's no fair share of really awful things happening in professional wrestling happens all of the time. And so this is merely a thing to think about. Think about it more deeply, your life, your people's lives like these things matter. You matter in a sense that you can actively try and take care of yourself in that regard just by maybe having one less drink or not going out that night or taking a break from this or trying to have some different protocols which allow you to get ready for your performance. Basketball players, football players, baseball players, all of these professional athletes, I can't say all of them don't use substances, but majority of them don't use any awful substances to get ready for their performance. But they have a set of protocols that get them hyped up, that get them in the zone, that get them into flow, a breathing practice, a mantra, uh, an exercise routine, a yoga routine, something that gets their body and mind interconnected so they can go out there and perform at their best. And it's not a uh, substance that is going to ruin their body or mind or life in the long term. So you have to think about that. How can you set up these protocols that are better than taking a bump in the bathroom or having three bangs in a 20-minute span? Like that's all. That's not good for you. Mm -hmm. It's not good for you. But how can I do some of these things that we've talked about for – Almost now our ninth uh, episode, uh, some of these mental health toolkits that you can use to implement before your match, to get into the zone, to get ready, to get your creative juices flowing, to get your body and mind ready for the match. And then what can you do to restore yourself right after or when you get to your hotel room or potentially you're just driving another 12 hours? Okay, what can you maybe do in the car or how could you help yourself in that regard? So you can restore your body a little bit more each time so you can do the thing you love a little bit longer. Uh, and that's, I think that's what's, that's, what's important. So welcome back, Kyle. Yeah. Appreciate it. Love these uh, technical issues that <laughs> tend to creep up whenever you do these things, because it can never just be simple. Um, but yeah, uh, I suppose the one main message I wanted to uh, relay to the folks that listen and watch along with us is um safety and intentionality 
Um, like I said at the beginning of these things, yes, we want you to be safe, but we also acknowledge the fact that people are going to do these things. Um, and as a staunch harm reductionist, um, I, I feel responsible in imparting a few good key tips uh, in terms of being safe and, you know, acknowledging the dangers and risks of bringing substances into your body for whatever reason or intention you have for doing so. Um, the first thing that I always press upon people is that if you have access to test kits and know they are not hard to find, you can literally just type in Google test kits near me. There will be likely a number of organizations who for certain populations may hand them out for free. Um, you, they can also be found at virtually any pharmacy that you may go to. It is important to know what you are taking and uh, putting into your body. And it is important to establish that, yes, this substance is what is, is as marketed. And this substance will affect you in the way that you are expecting. The drug supply is not regulated. The drug supply is not in itself, in and of itself, not safe. So you have to make make these concerted efforts to keep yourself safe you have to know what's in the supply maybe you're not exactly a chemist but these test kits will at least enable you to know or at least empower you rather to know that what you are taking is actually what you have purchased that you can trust the source of the person especially with all these fentanyl deaths that it's not just getting into cocaine it's getting into psychedelics it's getting into mdma uh, better known as ecstasy. It's also getting into Molly. It's getting into virtually any sort of party drug, anything that's chemically synthesized. So I think if you are taking anything that is chemically synthesized in a lab, um, whether it be cocaine, amphetamines, um, ecstasy, MDMA, Molly, uh, LSD, um, heroin, any sort of opiate, it is important that you test it. It is absolutely imperative that you test it. it. That is the difference between life and death. Um, that is the difference between overdose and not overdosing. Um, if you are, you know, one of those people who has turned to pills or for whatever reason he feels that your pain is to be treated with um, opiates of some kind, uh, please have Narcan in the house. Um, Narcan will uh, wake you up. It can even be effective uh with particularly strong opiates um it's not going to be the most pleasant experience in the world but you should have narcan in the house you should have your loved ones trained on how to use and apply it to you and you should be willing to have those conversations that's part of being a responsible and accountable adult because nobody wants to see you leave this world in a way that you did not intend to we want our we want our folks to be living rich full lives um so narcan testing kits um, and the third piece of wisdom, I mean, and this is just something I apply with my own personal life, it's that the closer to the plant you are, the safer you are. Um, so things like marijuana, things like, you know, psilocybin mushrooms, those things, while I won't declare them particularly tamper-proof, again, how much can you alter a plant in a way that might be harmful or a way that can cause overdose? Because the, these... While people have died by taking these two particular substances, it wasn't due to overdose. It wasn't due to the substance themselves. It was more what they were doing on the substances while they were intoxicated. So 
again, I tell people, you know, stay close to the plan. If you're going to venture beyond it, please be knowledgeable. Please be accountable for what you are taking and do your research. Have Narcan. Have Narcan. Have a plan B. Have have a plan for what to do in case of emergency or if things go wrong. Um, you know, the other thing that I have to impress upon people is that while I can't necessarily cite every state law, generally you are protected under state Good Samaritan laws if you were to call an ambulance and report a drug overdose. So if you are with somebody with their, when they are overdosing, I cannot impress you upon you enough that how important it is that you at least call for an ambulance. Um, you will not get in trouble. And even if you do, people will take up for that cause. But again, for the most part, you are protected, at least in my state, you are protected under Good Samaritan laws for reporting an overdose and this, that, and the other. So stay close to the plant, Narcan, drug testing kits. Please learn, live, and love these things. Keep yourself safe. That, that, that above all is my biggest thing. I won't speak for these other guys, um, but I, I am tired of hearing that careers and lives have been shortened just because of the things that we decided to put in our body. Um, I get that there are a number of factors that influence what we may or may not be open to, especially as we get further along in this business and meet all these people and see how they go about doing things and you know, how much of a, how much fun they may or may not be having or is impressed upon us. But please, above all else, it's like going out in the ring. The last thing you do is you bump fists and you tell everybody, have fun, be safe. So have fun and be safe. That's all I ask. Yeah, I, I really like how you uh, mentioned uh, drug testing kits. I think that is important because um, they don't care about cross-contamination. They're, they're producing all these things and storing them all probably in about one place, right? So stuff sitting on top of each other. Just, just to interject real quick, uh, Carl, also drug testing kits, they're not that expensive. They can be like mm -hmm. 20 bucks. They can, can save they, your life. Yeah. Like you are probably spending more on the substance, substance itself. Buy the kit with it. I love that. And uh, I mean, just from what I've seen, I've seen alcohol ruin more lives uh, and, and result in more deaths because car accidents, uh, DUIs, for the love of God, please do not drink and drive. It, that it, Don't do it. It's not worth it. Find another route home or call somebody you care about. Better yet, plan your trip ahead of time. I know it can be tough. Just take the option out of it. Like it, it's not an option. Uh, it's not worth it. DUI means that you you go into prison. You're gonna cost yourself tens of thousands of dollars. Your car insurance will never be the same, and you can't drive for probably about a year. So just don't do it. Make the green kids drive. Yeah. <laughs> um. Any uh any other thoughts, comments, questions, concerns that we want to share, fellas? No, I think we uh we set a baseline baseline foundation. Um yeah, I mean it it, it takes so many forms in, in professional wrestling and people do things for different reasons. At the end of the day, 
please be safe and accountable. Yep. Yeah, be safe. There are some really great resources on samhsa.gov. Uh, they have helplines. They have resources. Um, they have resources for inpatient, outpatient, or, you know, 12-step peer programs. Uh, but if you need help, get it. Yeah. Uh, another great resource is Internal Family Systems by Dr. Richard Schwartz. Dude's a legend. Uh, so if you are actively struggling with something like currently, um, that's a good place to go. They have online resources. They have uh, books. Um, you can meet with a clinician, all things of that nature for specifically um, recovering from your addiction. It's called internal family systems. Uh, anyways, so that's a, I think that's a really good place to pause because that's a good introduction, a good sort of foundational base for hopefully what will be some further and longer chats with some of our other friends um, making no promises because people are busy and they have important things to do. But I, um, I'm i almost sure that they'll come on and join us. So tune in for maybe part 10 or part 11. Not sure which one it's going to be, but it'll be one of them. But for sure, the next one will be with, uh, with me, Carl, and Kyle giving you the best information we have possible to hopefully um, – make the world of professional wrestling a little bit better, a little bit safer, a little bit more accountable, and hopefully introduce, continue to introduce more of these mental health services and webinars and support groups and all of that um, as people start to uh, notice what we're doing and hopefully it gets into more places. So thank you for your time and attention, everyone. Carl, Kyle, thank you as always. I appreciate you. And uh, we'll see everyone next time. Cheers.